Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Our broadcast today. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. You know, today we're continuing our study in the Book of Acts, sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. Both words are just fine. And we're in chapter 5. And those, the, uh, the sermon title today is The Church Under Attack. I mean, the message series um, that we're in is, is, is called Unstoppable. Because as we look through the Acts of the Apostles, as we, we see the history of the infant church from the beginning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming down with fire and a mighty wind uh, on Pentecost Sunday, and then through the first few chapters, and actually all the way through the chapters in the book of Acts, we see a church that is truly unstoppable. Unstoppable. Um, today in, in chapter 5, we're picking up where we left off just last week. Last week we talked about how um, the church was not perfect. The first four chapters were going great, but then it says, but Ananias and Sapphira. And we see that they had not only lied, but their, this was when hypocrisy began. And hypocrisy is a horrible evil in the church. And I, I spent some time last week talking about how uh, hypocrisy actually will, will kill uh, the momentum of a church. Uh, but today what I want to do is I want to talk about the, the mission that we have as believers. You know, God is perfect. We're not. God is perfect. We're, we're flawed. But God is perfect. And He has given us a mission. And that mission is the Great Commission. Jesus told His disciples before He ascended into heaven, He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Uh, so this is, this is our mission. It's God's calling, uh, but we're a, a flawed people. When I say that we're a, a flawed people, I mean that we're a, we're a sinful people. Uh, we're, we sinned. Let's just be, let's be honest about it. Uh, we're often motivated more by fear than we are by faith. We often struggle with, with pride. Uh, we struggle with greed. And we continue to have problems with that idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. Nevertheless, the church is truly unstoppable. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail. Uh, when I say that the church is unstoppable, not only do I say that in regard to what we read here in the book of Acts, uh, but that continues today. Uh, today, into the... 21st century. Despite what we see on the news, despite the things we hear about in our schools, the way that Christianity is often uh, marginalized in our universities and the media, I'm telling you today that the church is unstoppable. Today in persecuted areas of Asia and Africa and parts of the Middle East, the persecuted church is actually growing faster there than anywhere else in the, in the world. Today here in the United States and Canada, we have many, many wonderful pastors and wonderful churches that are doing a tremendous job in, in reaching their communities for Christ. And they're growing and, and the Lord is, is, is being blessed and numbers are being added uh, to the church. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices 
when even one sinner repents. So the church is unstoppable. Um, if, you know, if we turn on the news today, and I don't recommend that, you know, it, it said that uh, uh, the, the news is like bad medicine. Uh, you still only take a spoonful of it, it doesn't taste very good going down, and quite frankly, you don't get any benefit from it. So don't spend, don't spend a lot of time reading, watching the news. But if you did tune, turn on the news today, you would see that uh, we're definitely in, in very difficult times, very, very troubled times, unique times. You know, between the, this pandemic, originally called the Wuhan virus, then it was the coronavirus, and then it was the COVID-19 virus, you know, that in itself should give you a hint that something's amiss. Anytime something, some name is changed two or three times, it indicates that, you know, somebody's pulling some strings somewhere. But either, in any case, we're, we're going through some very difficult times, times that just a few months ago we, we never would have guessed we'd be going through. These times, however, have, have a way of becoming the very fabric of our, our lives. I, I refuse to use the word new normal. Uh, if it's new, it certainly isn't normal, and if it's normal, it's, it's not new. You know, and it isn't just the virus. We have what appears to be a world gone mad. Uh, there are riots in the streets, people pulling down historical statues of people that they don't know anything about. Uh, they've never taken a history class. They don't know what these people stood for or the battles that they fought. There's a thing called the cancel culture that's going around. Um, it's taken what we knew as the politically correct movement and, and put it on steroids. Today, um, the, in the cancel culture, your, your church could be canceled, your, your favorite store, your favorite brands, anything and anybody can be shamed, canceled, made irrelevant, boycotted, or made a pariah by, by social media. And it is social media, which is interesting because whoever that is, they're not elected, accountable, answerable, or responsible to, to anyone. So while the church may be unstoppable, that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some difficult times. The fact is that the church is under attack, and by that I mean believers believers in Jesus Christ, disciples, the body of Christ. We're, we're under attack. And, and as we read the fifth chapter of, of Acts, it's a great opportunity for me to give you some, some pointers on how do we respond. How do we respond? You know, that's, that's the real key is how do we respond when we go through, through struggles? People have asked me, you know, Pastor Ken, are we in the, are we in the end times? Well, you know, that's a, it's an interesting question. I, I realize there's a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that don't spend too much time talking about the end times. They, they shy away from prophecy, even though it's about 25% of the Bible, maybe more. Um, however, I'm not one of those teachers. I have a different philosophy. I, I believe that in order to be a healthy disciple, you need to have a healthy understanding of what's called eschatology, the end times. Jesus talked on it all as well. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, his very, very first letter was the letter to the Thessalonians, the very first letter that he wrote. And it's full of, of prophecy, of things that Paul tells about on the, the end times. You know, the Bible calls the end times the blessed hope because it's called a hope that means it's something that, that shouldn't be scary. One of the well-known prophecies of end times is Paul writing to his, his young charge, uh, Timothy. Um, and he says, in the last days there'll be perilous times. You know, it, he says that, that 
at that during that time people will be lovers of self lovers of money lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God it's, it definitely sounds like the the days we have today so the, again the real question is how do we respond and when I say the church remember I'm talking about not individual buildings or organizations or denominations I I'm talking about the the body of Christ how do how do we as members of the body of Christ respond so let's turn to our study in the book of Acts today the fifth chapter beginning in verse 12 if you recall the first 11 chapters we talked about Ananias and Sapphira um, and at the end of that section it says so so great fear came upon all the church and upon those who heard these things and, and the reason the fear was there is because Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead they, they fell down dead and the young men came in and they buried them so th that's gonna that's gonna shake up a church so let's begin in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5 and through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch yet none of the rest dared join them but the people esteemed them highly and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by may fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. You know, what we just read sounds a lot like a couple of the previous chapters. Uh, uh, people, Peter, uh, Peter and James, uh, John walked into the, up the temple steps and saw a lame man. And, and Peter looked down and said, look at us. And the man looked up thinking he was going to get some kind of an offering. And Peter says, gold and silver I have none, but what I have I give to you. Then he reached down with his right hand, pulled the man up, and instantly the man's legs were healed and strengthened. The man started jumping around and, and praising God. So what we're seeing here in the fifth chapter is very similar to what we saw in the previous ch chapters. And I want to let you know there's a direct connection here, and it's very obvious, between the healing that was going on, these signs and wonders, and the multitudes that were being added to the church. The scriptures say, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And then the very next verse says, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You know, in the previous chapters, we were actually given some of the numbers. We had 120 initially, and then Peter went out and, and spoke, and there were 3,000 that, that believed and were baptized. And then the next chapter, we see that 5,000 more were, were added to the church. And by this time, we really don't even know how many are, are, are considered themselves believers. It just says that multitudes of both men and women were added. Know that these signs and wonders that we see in the book of Acts, generally are the apostles doing of the apostles and not the believers in general they were not done primarily they were done primarily by the apostles but not exclusively by the apostles you know I know that there are some that teach that God is no longer doing doing signs and wonders and miracles uh, it was the age of the apostles and after the apostles died there's no more miracles uh, I don't teach that and many people don't teach that uh, we're gonna see for example in chapter 6 of the book of Acts just the next chapter there's two people called Stephen and Philip the evangelist not to, not to be confused with 
Philip the Apostle, but Philip the Evangelist. And these two men did mighty, mighty miracles and wonders. You know, for, for example, in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we read, And Stephen, full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And now Stephen, it says, was so filled with the Holy Spirit that evil men conspired against him. He was the, the first martyr, martyr in the church. And it was because primarily not of his teaching as much, but also these, these signs and wonders. Now with regard to Philip, we see Philip the evangelist in, in chapter 8. And it says this, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And then the very next verse it says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Now, see, this is the thing, is that neither one of these men were apostles, but God used them in, in a mighty way. Philip was used so mightily through the power of the Holy Spirit that there was a guy named Simon that actually wanted to purchase that gift from Philip. So it, it wasn't just the apostles that were being used by God to perform miracles and healings and amazing wonders. You know, I myself have seen, have seen miracles. I've been used by God to, I, I, I lay hands on people and I anoint them with oil and, and we let God do his, his work. A, a few years ago, I was on a mission trip to, to Haiti. It was, a, it was an amazing trip. I was invited by two other very good friends of mine to, to join them. It was, it was their trip. And we were going to be ministering to 500, in fact, there was a little over 500 pastors, Haitian pastors, that came to our week-long seminar. And we taught them on the ministry. We taught them the Bible. We, we taught them about doing church together. Um, with a translator, of course, I, I, don't, I don't speak Creole. Well, the last day, we told them that there would be a special service, and we wanted to bring their family with them as well. So the last day was Friday. Uh, these days were long, by the way. We would get up early in the morning, have breakfast, get over to the auditorium and, and start teaching. We'd have praise and worship and we'd go well into the evening. Well, Friday started off the same way. And then my friend got up and started speaking on, on healing. And sure enough, at the end of his, of his message on healing, he invited those people that needed healing to come forward. And we had a, we had a number of people that came forward. So I wasn't doing the preaching, but, but I believed everything he said, and I went forward as well to, with, my, with my oil and my Bible, and I was laying hands on people and encouraging people and listening by, listening by translators. Very few people spoke English. Listening by the translators, what was ailing people, and it didn't really matter. God knew what it was, and we, we'd pray for them. Well, sure enough, a woman came to me, and the translator said that she could only hear from out of one ear. The other ear was completely deaf. So I prayed. I laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. Well, wouldn't you know it? She started shouting and screaming, and she kept on banging the sides of her head, showing that she could hear from both ears. So God does miracles, and it was nothing that I did, but God continues to be able to do to works of healing. So we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, but the question remains is why during this time period that we see in the book of Acts. Why were there these amazing miracles? People being raised up from, from the dead and the lame people walking and blind people being able to see. It, it's all over the book of Acts. Well, what was going on? Well, it's really not that difficult to, to understand. Remember that these apostles had been with Jesus for, for three years. They walked the dusty streets of, of Judea and, and Samaria. Uh, they, they ate with him. 
uh, no matter where he went, he was teaching and they were listening to him. They had private meetings with him afterwards, so he would explain the, the parables to them and give them the nuances that the regular people weren't getting. Uh, they, they left everything. They left their houses and their, their businesses. Matthew left his, his lucrative tax collection service behind. Uh, they left everything and they followed Jesus. But it's not just that. It's their prayer. If we go back just a chapter to chapter 4, we see that these, these men of God, once they were accosted by the religious elite, they prayed. In verse 29 it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Verse 30 says, By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your servant Jesus. So they prayed for the very wonders that we're seeing. They prayed for boldness, but they also prayed for the ability to, to heal, to be able to use as an instrument of God to be able to, to demonstrate that God was real, that he was offering amazing things for these people. And the church grew. So let's continue. We'll see that these believers, the church actually comes under attack. Verse 7, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You know, these, these two verses are, are so close together that sometimes we, we miss it. We, we read through it and we, and we forget that there's something very important for us to learn here. Notice it says that when the high priest rose up, uh, the Bible actually mentions two high priests during this time, from the time of Jesus to the time of the, of the books of Acts. There were two high priests, Annas and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Uh, the high priest at the time, this time, was, was probably Caiaphas, but most scholars believe it was Annas that still controlled the power, still was pulling the strings, and it was most likely Annas that had this, this problem with the apostles. And, um, Annas was actually the high priest officially from 6 A.D. to 15 A.D. And then after 15 A.D., his, his son-in-law, Caiaphas, became the high priest. These roles were actually appointed by the Roman governors, who know nothing about what the role of high priest is, but they're the ones in charge. So if you wanted to be high priest, it had to be approved by the Roman governors. Annas obviously fell out of favor with Rome, and Caiaphas was appointed. Annas was a formidable enemy of the church. We, we shouldn't discount that at all. The high priest in many respects had similar authority to a king. Officially he was the chief judge of Israel, so having the high priest as your enemy was, was not a good thing. It wasn't good at all. Now the only official priestly role of the high priest was to conduct the services in the temple on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of, of every year. Only, the Bible says, only the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, behind the veil to stand before God. He would make a sacrifice for himself and then for his people. Now, what I find extremely interesting is that the scriptures tell us, of course, that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Because of Jesus, the Bible is clear, we no longer need a high priest. The Bible actually calls us priests and kings. Did you know that? The Bible calls us, you and me, priests and kings. The book of Hebrews says Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent 
than the old covenant that he met it that he, because he mediates what he mediates is actually better since it's enacted on better promises and then the scripture continues it says in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish you know Annas was not only indignant with the apostles but he would have been very indignant if he understood that his role his job his function was completely obsolete because of Jesus so let's look at the amazing things in this passage that Acts tells us it says verse 9 says but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life you know there's sometimes that God is just going to act and when God acts you just say praise the Lord um, he does, does amazing things. It shouldn't surprise us that angels were involved here because the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits. They're, they're sent to be able to provide help and aid uh, to the believers. Notice that the angels also had a message for the apostles. The angel said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. So that brings us to the first of our two points today. Only two points. The first of our two points today, point number one, and it's going to be there on the screen, is do what God has commanded you to do and do not lose focus. Do what God has commanded you to do and do not lose focus. Notice the angel of the Lord reminded them to go back. Do the job that God had commissioned them for. I live it, love it that the gospel is framed by these words of the angel, all the words of, of this life. This life that the apostles were preaching was the most wonderful life possible. It's a life of faith in the triune God. God the Father, through the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we do what God commands us to do, and we don't lose focus, the high priest has no power over you. Uh, the, the, the doors of the jail are no obstacle. God is on the throne. However, in my own experience, I can tell you that it's easy, quite easy, to, to lose focus. And here are some ways that the enemy will try to distract you and me. Uh, the first one, uh, the first way is through, through fear. You know, fear is a, a powerful weapon. Fear is actually much more powerful than that which is actually feared. I'll say that again just so that you get it. Fear is actually much more powerful than that which is actually feared. The words fear not are recorded in the Bible 365 times. I bet you can remember that. Fear not is recorded in the Bible 365 times. One scripture for each day. One of my favorites is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So do not fear. Number two. Another way the enemy will distract us is through busyness. Busyness. If fear doesn't distract us, we can easily lose our focus and not do the job that God has told us to do when we get busy. Because when we get busy, the cares and the concerns of life, all the activities kind of crowd out what God truly has in store for us. You know, many of us that are busy have a, a to do things to do, right? You have a list that says these are the things to do. My recommendation is forget the list and do the main thing. Do the main thing. The final way that we can be, we can lose focus is through what's called disunity. Disunity. 
God is one. And Jesus prayed that we would be one as well. Don't fall for the enemy trying to sow, sow dissension among the ranks. Seeds of division. Division based on financial, political, social, or, or, any, other way, or any other means. We are one in Christ. The Bible says that we, are, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Do what God has commanded you to do and do not lose focus through disunity. So the first of our two points today is how to respond to, how to, respond to attacks in the church uh, or how to respond when the believer is under attack. And that first is to do what God has commanded and do not lose focus. Now, my second point. Point number two. Remember, you are a testimony of a life that has changed. You are a testimony of a life that has changed. As believers, we have at our disposal the greatest gift to mankind. The greatest gift ever to mankind. It's God's gift of eternal life, which we received when Jesus Christ came into our life, our, our spiritual birth. That's what John 3.16 is about. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. It's ours that we've received and it's also ours to give away. Did you know that? That's our, that's our job. That's our mission. We all know the basics. We really do. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a theology student. You have to put your nose in the Bible six hours a day. We know the basics. God, Christ died for our sins. He rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven. And he's coming back again. Those are the basics. God has given all of us that faith and that ability to be able to share the testimony of a changed life. And that changed life is ours. We have this fellowship, this peace, this, this gift of eternal life. And it's available to all who, who receive it. You know, I had the opportunity to, to speak at a church once, and the church was known for, oh, let's just call it audience participation. Uh, the pastor, would, in fact, is a friend of mine, and, and he was speaking first, and I was going to be following up after him. And he's up there, and he's, and he's preaching, and he's preaching. And he says, uh, do I have a witness? And the people in the audience would say things like, uh, Amen, Hallelujah, or they'd wave their hands. Um, what he was actually asking, what he was actually asking is when he says, Do I have a witness? He says, Is there a testimony among you that agrees with what I'm saying? That's what a testimony is. Is there somebody that can give a, a witness? The word testimony in Greek is matereo, matereo. And, and it really means a witness. So a testimony is nothing more than a witness. A witness tells you about what he or she personally encountered. That's what a witness is. Your testimony is, is your story. What has God done in, in your life? What have you heard? What have you seen? What can you testify to? How, how God has changed your life. You know, actually that's the, the most powerful tool that you have at your disposal. So let's continue in this fifth chapter of the book of Acts and see how the apostles respond. How now that they're out of prison. Remember the, the angel came and opened the prison doors and, and they're out of prison. So I'll just kind of summarize it. So, so the high priest calls together the council because he thinks that the apostles are still in prison. So he calls together the council and the Sanhedrin is there and the Pharisees are there and the scribes and a whole bunch of people in the temple guard. And he sends a couple of temple guard to go get the go get the apostles and bring them to him. Well, the guy returns and he says the, the prison is empty. And then it's just then a, a guy comes in and, and says, 
look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and, and preaching to the people. They're doing exactly what the high priest told them not to do. So the scriptures continues that the temple guard go and they, they round up the apostles, but they, they're a little careful. Uh, the Bible says that they bring them back to the council. And it says, but not by force, where they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Who? Who's afraid of being stoned? The temple guards. The, the apostles by this time have so much favor with the people that the people, if, if you take the apostles, they're, they're going to stone you. Um, remember, Peter was the one that said, we must obey God rather than man. Now that, that brings us to, to verse 33. And we're going to see a, a very interesting story of a Pharisee. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thodius rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. So this is the longest recorded transcript of a Pharisee. This Pharisee is named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the grandson of the most influential rabbi in the history of Israel, Hillel the Elder. Gamaliel is also known because of the Pharisee saw of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. Because about 20 years later, Paul is going to be in Jerusalem and will say this. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. You know, this speech by Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, seemed to have worked because the Bible says they took his advice. Now, they ended up beating the apostles and, again, charging them not to speak the name of Jesus. Did they listen to it? Of course not. So, the last two points today are these. Number one, Gamaliel, interestingly, is considered a saint by the Orthodox or the Eastern Orthodox Church today. They believe that he and his son had converted to Christianity from Judaism. Now, there's actually no biblical evidence, but there is plenty of other references that in some ancient literature that Gamaliel and his son Simeon, named for his grandfather, were baptized by, by Peter and John. Uh, there are other evidence provided is that Gamaliel was the heir to this great school of Hillel, his grandfather, um, but he chose not to follow in the traditions of his father and his grandfather. He possibly became a Christian, a saint in the Orthodox Church. The second interesting observation is that Gamaliel, while successfully persuading the high priest to not put these apostles to death, um, actually does what's called a, a false narrative, or what he says is a, is a false narrative. For example, Gamaliel makes the statement, if it fails, it's not of God. It, it is of, if it is of God, you cannot stop it. 
Well, this is really just human wisdom. And the Bible calls human wisdom folly. That's what King Solomon said. Pastor John MacArthur, one of my, my favorite teachers, says it this way. Gamaliel's principle needs some thought. The first half is true. Occasionally, some things just resolve themselves. So slow down, don't kill these apostles of Jesus. Let's things kind of take care of themselves. MacArthur goes on and says, the second half, however, is not necessarily true. Not everything that succeeds is from God. You know, I've found this to be true myself. We can't judge anything by success or popularity. Presently, we're finding that many of the core tenets of Christianity are under attack. Much of what we know about America is under attack as well. Whether the anarchists and the anti-Christians and anti-Americans will win or lose, have victory or defeat in the elections, doesn't define truth. See, success doesn't define truth any more than failure defines something that's out of the realm of God. We'll end today with the very last verse in this chapter 5 of the Acts of the Apostles. Verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You know, you may feel that you're under attack. You may feel like the church is under attack. But remember, do what God has commanded you to do and do not lose focus. And my second point was remember, you are a testimony of a life that was changed. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for uh, this wonderful study. We thank you, Lord, because to we have the dialogue book of Acts with Pastor Ken Bear, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.